The following podcast is a part of RadioMisfits.com. It's time for Caffeinated Comics, a lively discussion and debate on comics, film, television, and collectibles. All fueled by the magic of Frappuccinos. Hello, good evening everyone and welcome to the first episode of Top Men, an Indiana Jones podcast. And uh, on screen you will see our four regular panelists, myself, Elliot Serrano, joined by... Right next to me... I'm oh, do I introduce myself? Yeah, introduce yourself. You usually bro. introduce everybody. I can do that too, but I want y'all to. But it's feel- a new show. All right. I am John Clark, the host of Caffeinated Comics, and apparently I don't warrant friends introducing me. <laughs> well, guess what? I'm not going to introduce the guy below me either. Yeah, snub everyone. <laughs> well, I guess that's my cue to talk. So uh, I'm, I'm Thomas Jetner. I'm the bartender here at uh, the uh, Top Man podcast, just as I am on the MCU review. And who's that next to you on the bottom row for those who are watching the video? And there's next to me on the bottom row is uh, Dave Pino. Hi, everyone. How you doing, Dave? I'm good. I've got my little short round in my lap here. <laughs> there he is. The man, the myth, the legend, the gremlin. Uh, it's <laughs> good to see him. And uh, tonight we are also joined by a special guest. Uh, if you've been following our updates on the Facebook page, or on the Top Men Indie Podcast Instagram. He is uh, uh, illustrator, uh, illustrator, anchor, artist, Eisner Award winner, has worked on everything. Uh, Marvel. <laughs> uh, didn't you work on um, an indie book too, Tom Feaster? Hi. Uh, yeah, I've worked on, uh, I've worked for pretty much every major publisher. And, um, you know, I think, Maybe you're talking about Grand Passion, which was for Dynamite. I did that with uh, James Robinson a couple years ago. That's a good one. Uh, oh, James is a good guy to work with, too. That is something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, today, though, uh, and this is going to be the whole thing. It's going to be Thomas and Tom, or as I've been told, just call me Feaster. So I'll just call him Tom Feaster. You'll just be Feaster from here on out. I don't want you to think like you're in trouble. Like I'm saying your your full name. You know when mom calls you by your whole name, you know, middle name included, you're like, oh, shit, I did no, something. I, I, and I, I, there's definitely a name that my, I'm referred to uh, by my parents when I'm in trouble, but I'm not going to say it because <laughs> I know my friends well enough and it will be what they call me from now on. So not saying it. <laughs> Very good. Uh, but anyway, thanks everyone uh, who's tuned in for and watching us on the youtube channel uh watching us on our facebook live uh channel as well this is top men and indiana jones podcast following the formula of shaken not heard and the mcu review what we're going to be doing is going through each of the indiana jones movies in order of release uh and the thing with top men is um unlike the mcu review we're going to be going at a, a more casual pace. We'll have one episode a month, so we can do a movie a month leading up to the release of Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. 
Uh, great. Kind of how Indiana to... Jones does one movie every 15 years. Every 15. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. And uh, I am so excited because I'm telling you, the moment we announced that we were putting this podcast together, people were just coming at me, like say, hey, I want to be on the podcast. I want to do the show. Uh, Tom, um, I know you've been a, a fan of Indiana Jones for the longest time. And then when I said, hey, we're doing this podcast, I know you jumped that uh, coming on board. So I appreciate that. But we do have other folks lined up, folks actually from the world of Lucasfilm who are going to be joining us, which is really exciting. Thank you, Susan, for joining us. Hello, Between Magic and Dreams. Thanks for uh, tuning in. Hello, Lehman. Hey, Don. Don Shanahan of Earth's Mightiest Critics. Great to have you on board. Thanks for watching and uh, for lending us your eyes and ears. If you're seeing us on the, on the Facebook stream, on the MCU Review uh, YouTube page, please give us a thumbs up. Give us a like. Um, feel free to comment uh, throughout the show if uh, we, we read all comments and we try to incorporate everyone else's contributions to the conversation. Uh, if you are watching us for the very first time, uh, we're essentially kind of a bunch of guys that get together and talk about the things we love. This show is dedicated to Indiana Jones. So uh, without further ado, why don't we jump into the topic of today, uh, which is Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, the very first uh, movie in the Indiana Jones franchise, starring Harrison Ford, Karen Allen, uh, John Rice Davies, and Paul Freeman, directed by Steven Spielberg from a script by Lawrence Kasdan. It came out in the 80s, uh, 81, and it would set off an incredible uh, I'm telling you, it's like it's like a domino that boom, they kicked off and just went to another, led to another, led to another. And uh, yes, Indiana Jones has been oft imitated, but never duplicated. To start off, uh, Thomas Feaster, we have this thing on the show where we give our two-minute review. So why don't you, since I know you just saw the movie last night again, uh, give us your two-minute indie movie review. Uh, so do you want like a spoiler-heavy review? Or... And this is full of spoilers, so don't worry about it. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, we, we meet our hero in, in the, the jungles of South America where he's uh, in the process of, of robbing a tomb uh, of a golden idol. I, I don't know how detailed you want me to get here. So um, he struggles to get this golden idol there are spiders which i would have stopped dead right there but he perseveres through this terrible awful, awful spiders uh booby traps everywhere and uh, he and his uh, uh assistant try to make it through they get the golden idol uh his assistant ends up uh uh turning on him and doesn't meet such a, a pleasant fate he makes it out of the tomb uh, just by the skin of his teeth and uh, ends up meeting with an old enemy, uh, Belloc, who immediately takes the golden idol from him along with uh, a bunch of villagers who um, chase Indy out of the jungle as Indy's screaming for his backup airplane to get ready to 
whisk him off to safety. Um, he manages to escape. He's lost the idol, um, and Belloc has won the day. Cut to uh, a period of time later, not too, you know, a couple days. He's uh, a professor teaching class, and the president of the college comes in and tells him that there are men from the government there who want to speak with him. And he assumes he's in trouble and is taken to a meeting where they tell him that uh, an old friend of Indiana Jones, uh, a former teacher of his, uh, has been mentioned in a secret Nazi communique. And in this communique, uh, they mention Tannis and a search for the Ark of the Covenant. Andy quickly educates these government men uh, on what Tannis is and what the Ark is. Uh, apparently, they never went to Sunday school. So uh, they enlist Indy to go searching for the Ark. Uh, his last remembrance of a piece of this puzzle uh, belongs to uh, his old love interest, uh, Marion Ravenwood, who he finds at a bar in, uh, oh God, I'm blanking. Is it not, oh God, where is she? Nepal. Nepal. Guys, help me out. Nepal, thank you. I was going to say Peru, but I knew that wasn't right. Uh, finds her in a bar um, trading shots with a very large person who she manages to drink under the table. Um, Indy reunites with her. It doesn't go great. She basically kicks him out. And um, the Nazis, uh, who are also searching for the art, show up and uh, shake her down for a uh, medallion that might lead to a key to finding the Ark of the Covenant. Battle ensues. Uh, the Nazi leader escapes with his life and a pretty nasty scar on his hand from the medallion. Indy and Marion team up and run to Cairo, where they meet Sala. Sala tells them there's this large Nazi dig outside in the desert where they have discovered a map room and um guys help me out here i'm I'm not i'm a drawer i'm not a talker you don't you don't have to recap the whole movie. yeah, yeah. i'm just asking you what okay you thank you it. please yeah. <laughs> there's a map room yes, there's just... a there's a snake pit there's a truck yeah. chase there's... there's face melting done thank you thank you <laughs> I, I, I wasn't sure what you wanted from me here man i panicked Your really? review <laughs> what did you think of the movie <laughs> it's the greatest movie ever made there we go. There. Movie ever made. Listen, I, okay, so here's the deal. I saw the movie when I was seven years old. My dad took me to Washington, D.C. to go see a woman he was dating at the time. She had two kids that were around my age. They took us to a movie on a Saturday night. I had no idea what I was about to see. And what I saw blew my fucking mind. It was amazing. Cut to the next morning. I had to go to Sunday school with these kids. I didn't grow up going to church, never went to Sunday school, knew nothing about this stuff. So we get into Sunday school, and the first thing I do is I ask the teacher, tell me about the ark. And this lady starts talking about Noah and animals and two by two. And I was like, no, I want to know about the face-melting ark. The woman had no idea what I was talking about, and I was furious because I just wanted to know about the face-melting ark. Uh, and after that, I was done with religion forever. <laughs> that's good that's good so i mean listen in indiana jones it was uh it, it was a, a a like it was as life uh transforming as star wars was i mean I, I i don't know a kid that summer who wasn't 
using whatever rope they had around as a whip pretending to be Indiana Jones. It was, it, it, it was and is the greatest movie ever made. I've seen it more than any other movie ever. Like, it's, it's amazing. Dave. Um, one of the things I look, I, first of all, I, sh I should start by saying, I don't remember the first time I saw um, really any of these movies, but it was early in my, my life, you know, sometime in my childhood. But one of the things I really look forward to talking about over the course of not just this episode, but um, this whole series, this whole show is the similarities between the Indiana Jones films and the James Bond films, which of course, we kind of started this all off with the Shaken Down Heard podcast. And with that show, there was a, you know, it was a role reversal. You were the indie fan, more of a casual Bond fan. And I was, you know, sort of the hardcore Bond fan. This time around, I'm more of the casual Indiana Jones fan. But, you know, as I watch these, and some of them, most of them I'd, I've seen, you know, fairly recently in the last couple of years or so, um, just noticing the, the obvious and maybe sometimes not so obvious, um, similarities and parallels between Indiana Jones and, uh, and J the James Bond films. So uh, I think there's probably a big overlap between those fandoms, people who love Bond and love Indiana Jones, because there's, you know, there's such great, both of them, such great action adventure franchises. And, um, you know, you can see how Bond is a, was sort of rubs off on Indiana Jones as an inspiration, but yet Indiana Jones is still very much its own thing. Um, very different character in some ways, but also, you know, similar character in other ways. Um, and these are just, you know, not just this film specifically, but the, it's just, these are such great action adventure films. So fun, so quotable. Um, a lot of the things that make the Bond film so great are similar things to, that make these films so great. Beautiful locations, um, great ingenious action scenes, uh, beautiful and likable, you know, female companion characters, um, awesome music, of course, in the case of the the, John, the uh, indie films all scored by John Williams. Um, of course, the big difference, I would say, between the indie films and Bond is with the Bond films, we're conditioned to, um, you know, have to accept a new actor taking on that role every, you know, 10 or 15 years, whereas these films, it's only, at least in the films, it's only ever, ever been Harrison Ford. So that's why when you talk about the idea of him, you know, rebooting the films, um, because Harrison Ford has already come out and said that the Dial of Destiny will be his, his final performance as Indy. Uh, people just reject that idea because who else could possibly play Indiana Jones? He, he is that character, basically. Whereas Bond, you know, you know, you have the debates of who's your favorite James Bond. Is it Connery or Daniel Craig or Roger Moore or Pierce Brosnan? So, um, yeah, I guess just to sum it up, th this is just a great action adventure film. And as someone who was a, such a, a diehard Bond fan, um, I love seeing the similarities and in, in the way these films, I think, franchises have have inspired each other over the years. John. This is my favorite movie. Um, I was going to say it's the greatest movie ever made, but Feaster got to that first. Uh, when this movie came out, I just was told that George Lucas was making a movie with only Han Solo. <laughs> and I wanted to see it. And I don't know why, but my parents wouldn't take me. 
I think they thought it was too violent or maybe they just weren't into it and they were boomers and it was about what they wanted. Um, but I didn't see were this there until other, uh, were, there, no. were there other forms of abuse? Uh, that's, it's not this the kind of podcast. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> to, for me to tell you that I need to pay you hourly. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> but by the time I saw this movie was so popular, especially because it was before the home video market, I got to see it in the theater the next year. So I saw this in 1982. I actually saw the Raiders greatest stunts uh, documentary before I saw the movie. The one that Harrison Ford narrates on PBS and I was drawing pictures just from the making of and I remember my mom looked at one of my pictures and went you really want to see this movie and it was more than I wanted I have I have no idea how many times I've seen this movie but it's in the hundreds I have seen this movie on VHS rentals I have seen this movie taped from HBO I have seen this movie on cruise ships I have seen this movie on video iPods I have seen this movie drunk at four in the morning after last call I've seen it sunrise to sunset I watched it last night and I there's never a time I, I won't watch it when Kingdom of the Crystal Skull came out in 2008 there was this indie renaissance where they they finally started showing it a lot more and putting out merchandise. And it was TBS would show it all the time that summer. And every time it was on, I would watch it. And my, my wife at the time walked into the room one day and said, you're watching Raiders again. I was like, well, it's on. <laughs> and that was the end of the discussion. <laughs> um, yeah. It, it's impacted me in so many ways that we'll take the hour to discuss, but it, in some, it's the reason I don't shave. <laughs> Speaking of hangovers and drinking all night, Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Um <laughs> well, I, we can I can relate to that because I watched this movie uh on a Saturday night after a very stressful day and I tucked into uh I tucked into a homemade mai tai uh while drinking it and got very animated on our little group chat about uh this particular movie because um it's so good on every level i mean i i remember also a number of years ago seeing it in the theater i went to the music box the music box theater on southport avenue here in chicago was running uh all three of the original indie movies back to back to back on uh two days they had saturday and sunday that they were going to do like a triple feature they were going to run all three movies at least once and one ticket got you it was like a day pass at disney world i like, saw the raiders that morning i was at that show. there was a saturday or sunday because my, was, my i think it was a sunday it was early i think okay. they were showing all three i only i didn't stick around for the other two but it was the first time i was ever at the music box yes there's a Great theater, also a nice bar at the Music Box Theater. Um, but I went. Uh, that was my my eldest daughter had just been recently born, and my my wife and her sister and her mother went to the triple feature on the Saturday, and my father in law and my brother in law and I went on that Sunday, and it was just like seeing it in a seven. The Music Box has a seventy millimeter screen, and it's it's like a wall coming at you. It's, it's amazing when you see it on the big screen and then watching it again, I think with a more, um, with more of a, a taking more of a scalpel to it, uh, 
in run up to the in the run up to the show every level of the movie is working it's so efficient it's it's it, i don't know if you get the sports reference there's something called positionless basketball where you have five guys on the court and they're all six foot nine and they can all shoot the three and they can all rebound it's kind of like that because the music is working the the set location is working the cinematography is working the acting is working not necessarily all at the same time there are huge stretches of this movie with zero dialogue i don't think indiana jones himself speaks until a good five to ten minutes into the movie and by that point we've already learned everything about that character that we're going to need to know over the next two hours and this movie's only two hours long so everything clicks together like a like a swiss watch and i think that's where Indy has succeeded where so many of its other competitors have failed because only in this is when you get the right director, the right cinematographer, the right lead actor, the right supporting actors, can everything click together and flow so perfectly as it does with this movie. And we can talk about the individual elements from from night and day. Like I just mentioned, the, the, the shocking lack of dialogue and how much information can be conveyed with just mood and atmosphere, even in scenes that are supposedly about exposition like the scene with the old man there's not a lot of words in that scene but we get almost everything that we need to know for the second half entire second half of the movie just in that little bit so everything is working on every level i don't think there's a single part of this movie that isn't operating on a high level or that or that falls flat in some way Every little detail matters. It all adds up. It's like John and Tom said, it's kind of perfect. There's no fat on it. No. And even the mistakes make it better. You know, the, the fact that it's Harrison Ford instead of Tom Selleck, or that uh, you can see the reflection of the Cobra that Indy shoots the swordsman that Jock speaks in a British accent. And then in a Brooklyn accent, every, everything that's wrong in it, makes it a little more right there's just this little extra bit of charm you know it, it's like when a when a baseball player throws a perfect game i like you know you miss what you hang a curveball but a guy pops it up and in the into the uh uh into foul territory and that's an easy one pitch out so you know they caught lightning in a bottle but you know you can't say that they catch lightning in a bottle if they catch it you know two or three more times after that <laughs> All righty. And um, uh, not to echo everything everyone else said, you guys always steal my thunder. I will say two things. First, this is the movie that made me a Harrison Ford fan. John, you say, oh, I heard that George Lucas was movie doing a movie with just Han Solo. I had absolutely no interest in Han Solo back then. I was a Luke Skywalker fan. I didn't care that Han was spending all this time making moves on Leia while Luke was away. Of course, later on, it would all be moot for, you know, we all know why. But yes, this is a movie where the real charm of Harrison Ford would come through. And as you said, had Tom Selleck been cast as Spielberg and Lucas originally wanted, 
Um, and, and Lucas did not want Harrison Ford. He did not want him at all. He famously said, I don't want him to be my Robert De Niro. Yep. Which is ridiculous, but still, um, uh, <laughs> but yeah, Harrison Ford made Indy just like Indy made Harrison Ford. And, um, and there will be other things that come up, uh, before we get away from this though, uh, Tom, you did in the tradition of the MCU review. You did create a themed cocktail for tonight's show and tonight's movie. Why don't you tell us about it? I did. And actually, this cocktail predates, uh, I think, every cocktail from MCU Review. I think we came up with a recipe of this, uh, not, I think, on the Shake and Not Heard podcast. I think we were talking about we have to have an indie episode just so we can make this cocktail. <laughs> yes. And um, so I think the genesis was this was Elliot identified the label on the bottle of whiskey that Indy's drinking in the cantina scene uh, after Marion is seemingly blown up in Cairo. And it's a bottle called Bell of Lincoln which a little bit of research revealed is a style of Tennessee whiskey that was produced by the Jack Daniels distillery prior to prohibition. And what's interesting about that bottle is bell of Lincoln was not reintroduced after prohibition ended. So the bottle that Indiana Jones is drinking in 19, I believe it's 1936 uh, the Raiders takes place in 36, yes. 36, yes. 36, a few years after Prohibition ended, is a pre-Prohibition bottle of Tennessee whiskey, which was really hard to find at that time. Um, so we were thinking about, well, what could we do with it? Like something that, you know, a 20-year-old bottle of whiskey, maybe you might want to just drink that neat as Indy does. But we went with um, incorporating the dates in the form of date syrup, uh, because a, a mint julep and many other whiskey cocktails involve uh, simple syrup or sugar. So dates was a good opportunity, and mint is very popular in Mediterranean cuisine and Mediterranean cooking, including Egyptian cooking. So there was an opportunity there to do a mint julep, and that's basically what we've done. We've done a Tennessee whiskey mint julep with uh, date syrup supplementing the sugar, uh, and Dave and Elliot, how does it, how did it turn out? Okay. This, this is probably my new favorite drink now because <laughs> <laughs> it's so easy to make, you know, like, uh, no, 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 not to, not to, I don't want to seem critical of previous drinks. Go on. Let's face it. All the <laughs> MCU review cocktails you come up with, you're finding like all these obscure rums and, and and I, I swear, I, like you're you're making trips to South America to get other things because you're not happy with what's local, what's available locally. So so just Tennessee whiskey, date syrup, and simple syrup with some mint. Oh yes. <laughs> yeah, but Elliot, you you haven't had to make, except for this one. You haven't had to make any of those drinks. So he, Tom can make them as complicated as he wants, as long as he keeps making them. I know. I'm That's just saying. Food. Now I can just make it myself. If I want one, I can go. Now oh, if you want one, you can you always go. have one. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, I'm glad the date syrup uh, 
worked out relatively well. That's good. That was. Uh, I had never had date syrup prior to this drink, so and it's really good. I plan to put this on other things. I think this, the Trader Joe's website, Trader Joe's where I got it from, said like put it on pancakes and waffles and things like that. So I'm all for that idea. I know Elliot. I provided the expensive one from uh, from Fresh Farm. So you, you did the organic. It's the organic. It's quite good. Yes, and so I went. I bought organic mint because you know. There you go. Why the hell not? <laughs> but well, of, of course, if you follow Review Cocktails, that's the uh, cocktail uh, Instagram page for this show and the MC Review. MCU review. I have a post there recommending to anyone interested in cocktails buy a mint plant. Buy a potted mint plant. If they are inexpensive, keep it in your windowsill and you will always, always, always have fresh mint for your mint juleps, for your good dates, and for all your various tiki cocktail needs. And it's it stands to reason you're gonna you, you should use a lot of mint for this one. Use a lot of mint. Yeah, yes. I the first one I didn't use as much, and you said no, you need to do more. So I really went to town with it. Um, my my whole thing is muddling in the beginning. So I realized I found I have one of those little little piss the little um muddler muddler. I ha- actually had one. I didn't know where it got it from, but I was oh because <laughs> before I was using a wooden spoon, mm. but I have a muddler, and um yeah. It just, it's so good. I'm telling you, it's so good. <laughs> and uh, Thomas Feaster, apologies that we are unable to, we were unable to ship you a sample of the Good Dates cocktail. It's something just we do. I, you know, I was going to say, I wish you guys had sent me this list because I absolutely would have done this. Okay. Well, for the next time. In fact, the there's show... a liquor store just down the street. I could be back in like 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> all right <laughs> all right uh but anyway again as we'll do as, it do it afterward and let us and send us a do it afterward and let us know you know so the, i, I think will the, so, the, uh, i just need to get a, a screen grab of that list well no problem because if you go to the instagram app at revu cocktails uh it is right there right there for your viewing Perfect. along with all of the drinks from uh, the mcu review and uh, anything else that i happen to post on there because i need a drink at night you remember when tom used to say don't follow me on social media and now he's doing full radio commercials (laughs) (laughs) yes that was that was an early funny gag on uh on mc well this is this is the i'm promoting the show so i'm not necessarily showing uh photos of my wife and kids so yeah tom you have a good you have a very good radio voice with what John said about doing radio ads, like if you had a radio show, your vi- your voice would fit in perfectly. For well, a, a a law school professor when I was in when I was in trial ad, my law school professor at the time told me I had a podcast voice or a an audio book voice, but not in a good way. Oh wow! Ouch! <laughs> Yikes! Well, <laughs> well, here you let's are. get back to this movie. Oh, really? <laughs> Yeah. And yes, you can also go to uh, Instagram.com slash Top Men Indie Podcast. So it's Top Men Indie, I-N-D-Y Podcast, because if you just do Top Men, you're going to get something completely unrelated to Indiana Jones. So I want to make sure we stress 
It's Top Men Indie Podcast. <laughs> yes, you are looking at that. Full of adventure. I had reservations <laughs> about this title. <laughs> I know, I know, but you know what? It's all the other titles that were suggested were already taken. Indiana Jones and the Cast Crusade. Uh, that one there is already yes. <sighs> Trust me, there are quite a few indie podcasts out there. We're but we're throwing our hat into the ring, and I think we're the only one that actually has custom cocktails. Speaking of which, let's talk about the the scene where we meet Marion Ravenwood, which actually takes place in a bar. And we can talk about the the um, the Spielberg long cut on the introductions going from the wide angle shot close up to the collection of six shot glasses, then to one participant, then slowly panning back where we just see the finger crumbing over the middle. And then slowly panning over to Karen Allen as she drinks and seemingly passes out before tipping the, the cup over and, and slamming it down all in one shot before that unfortunate uh, competitor passes out in the middle of his drink. And just how good that whole sequence is. I just want to know what she's drinking. Is a raging alcoholic. (laughs) Her solution to every danger is to drink. She escapes from Belloc by drinking. The last line in this movie is, "You want? I'll buy you a drink. You know, a drink." Because there's no dialogue in the warehouse. That is the last thing said in this movie. John, we both know she's not talking about a drink. Oh, oh, she is. The the, the bit where she grabs maybe, but she's definitely talking about a full bottle of booze. So, uh, she grabs a sip of alcohol uh, from a barrel that's been shot yep. out of the bar right before she. Yeah, yeah. She she definitely needed that drink. She's she Barney Gumble. <laughs> that's all character building, though. The the willingness to yeah. take a the willingness to take a quick shot out of that it was like one not only is but an alcoholic but as someone who is not accustomed to the life of adventure and maybe needing a little more liquid courage in that instant. I don't know. Marion doesn't seem to be well. I will say she does. I know there's a lot of criticism when we get into uh, Temple of Doom. There will be a lot of quick criticism of of Kate Capshaw's character, Willie Scott, that she doesn't seem to, you know, hold up to the Marion Ravenwood character because she spends a lot of time screaming through the movie. Well, my rewatch of, of Raiders, like, yeah, Marion spends a lot of time screaming too, just yelling, Indy! But she's she's very active. She's way more active than Willie Scott. And we can get into each one of the the women as we talk about each movie. But she's coming up with ideas and and executing them. You know, like in the plane in the plane sequence, her whole her whole arc is completely different than Indy. Indy's just getting punched by Pat Roach over and over again. And Marion that gets yeah. into the car and starts using the machine gun. Uh, in Cairo, when they split up, she thinks to grab the frying pan. She thinks to hide in the basket. Um, she drinks got- Belloc under the table. She takes her clothes and hides the knife. I mean, she's she's not a damsel in distress. She doesn't necessarily need Indiana Jones to come rescue her because she's going to be in charge of her own rescue if she has to. In her own words, she's his goddamn partner. Yeah. I always like the the TV edit a little bit on that. It's like I'm your new dance partner. Somehow I <laughs> I don't know. Somehow that always appealed to me. I have no idea why. 
Uh, before we get too much more into the film, I have already finished my good date drink. And since I can't go and make myself another one right now, I have switched over to Hop Raider IPA from Voodoo <laughs> Ranger. It's their, yes, they did come out with an Indiana Jones themed IPA, and it's actually quite good. So um, it's their seasonal. So if you see it, snatch it up. It's not going to be around forever. And again, we do not get any sort of uh, uh, sponsorships or kickbacks for any of these mentions. It's just stuff we like. <laughs> uh, one thing, uh, again, watching indie, uh, watching Raiders, and this did not happen on my most um, recent uh, review, because like you guys, I have seen this film so many times. Um. But so much is made about indie. Well, a couple things. First, uh, Tom, you talked about those two sequences in uh, in the movie where there is no dialogue. Okay, there's a one scene in the beginning when we see Indy for the first time. He doesn't speak at all. The John Williams score carries that entire opening sequence and does it marvelously, as well as the sound design. You know, the sounds of the jungle and and so on. It wouldn't, and when you flash forward to the um, the the Raven Bar that Marion Ravenswood has in um, Nepal, that entire uh, shootout is completely unscored. Uh, John Williams did not compose any music for that scene, which anybody else, any other director, might have said, "Oh no, we need some rousing music for this." Steven Spielberg is confident enough in his own storytelling and in the film that he doesn't need music to uh, punctuate it. But uh, for a lot of folks who are obsessed with Indiana Jones, like I am, especially when you're cosplaying him and you're trying to come up with screen accurate outfits. One thing to uh, remember is that uh, yes, Indy has his Webley that he uses in most cases, but in that fight in the Raven bar, he uses a Browning high power automatic which so many people forget about. And also, that will be the only time you see Indy using this gun. A lot of questions is what happens to that gun later on, because you will never see him use it again in the rest of the series. Is it Wait. just me, or is there a different sound effect also? About the same. Yeah. They're about, about the same. But there's right. great sound design in that particular scene. The sound too. design, I, I just looked it up to make sure. It's Ben Burt who of yeah. course did works at Pixar now, but did all of Star Wars, like created the laser blast and the lightsaber sound. And those guns are the least realistic sounding pistols that they're, they're cannons in an echo chamber, but they have such a punch and a power to them. Last night, as I was watching this, I was doing something and I ended up not looking at the screen a lot, but I was following along with all the dialogue and all the sound effects because every single sound in this is iconic. Is this is this where we'll get the Wilhelm scream for the first time, or was that in Star Wars? Well, Wilhelm goes back to like the thirties, forties. Yeah. I mean, but using it yeah. in the in the in the Lucas movies, like did he, did Lucas? Oh, it's in Star, Star Wars. Wars. It's yeah. in Star yeah, Wars. Yeah, one of the stormtroopers. Uh, yeah, one of the stormtroopers is knocked off one of the towers in the Death Star. Then you hear that uh, and falls, okay. and yeah, okay. Because then, yeah, then they'll carry that through into the indie movies and that. Because there's also the sound of 
uh, Indy's haymaker when he punches you. Yeah. It, it's wet meat. <laughs> <laughs> that's the sound. That's the it's name of my a slap band. and a punch somehow. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's like how Chewbacca is a bear and a seal mixed together. Indy's punch is like a, a slap and a punch. There's also the, the shot that Indy takes from Marion. Yeah. Yeah. And you the know, angle, the angle on that too is, 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 is just, it was, it's perfectly framed and there's an art to the cinematic, how to, of, of your, having your hero take a punch cinematically. Well, especially that scene, because you see him larger than life. You see him as a shadow on the wall and he's like 10 feet tall. And then immediately he's humanized. Cause as soon as he yeah. walks in, she punches him in the face. His face fills the screen. He feels it. He reacts to it. So we, so Spielberg goes, he's a superhero, but he's realistic. And he does that, he does that balance over and over again in the film where he builds up, he builds up Indiana Jones, the icon, and then he brings in Indiana Jones, the relatable character. I think that's one of the big differences between Indiana Jones and Bond. You know, Indy is beat to hell by the end of the movie where Bond generally still looks pretty freshly pressed. Uh, and one of the things you mentioned a few minutes ago, Tom, was about the, the cinematography. The one shot that always blows me away in the bar is when Indy's leaving and she says, see you tomorrow, Indiana Jones. He stops, pauses and turns, and the light of his eye is perfectly framed through uh, some of the, I guess, the trellis work inside the bar. And for Harrison Ford to hit that mark, not only for where he's physically standing, but for that line for that to line up perfectly on his eye amazing like i mean it's the cinematographer and the actor working in concert uh in a way that you just don't see um it, it's it that shot always blows me away there was a time when i was in college where i could pretty much draw that movie from memory because i would just sit because it, it for from a storyboarding standpoint it every shot is absolutely perfect uh, but that, I'm sorry. I, I, I hope I didn't digress. But that you just no, that's that, great. Perfect shots, and that that one just every time when he does that turn, and his eye is just perfectly framed in that little square of light, little diamond of light. It's amazing. There are a few times when Spielberg does that for effect. You know, when you see in that scene, there's a scene when um, Indy is chasing, uh, trying to find Marion through the streets of Cairo. Uh, the baskets are, you know, getting split up. They're moving all over. And then he gets into the square and Spielberg, after he's been running, 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 Spielberg just pulls right in on his face. And, you know, Indy looks exhausted. He's like, he's been running and running and running and boom. I, I got to give Harrison for credit. He is able to put all that in, the, in just a quick change of expression. Like I'm running to like, and he goes, it's like a oh crap kind of look on his face because then the camera turns and you see everything that India's face at that time. This is this is Harrison Ford just hitting every note. There's got to be, I mean, as you said, the cinematographer and the actor. This is probably one of Harrison Ford's best performances. I mean, in any oh yeah, and you can't forget how I, it, fast you can't forget how fast this movie was made. Yeah. You know, the, yeah. you know, Spielberg was up against it for 1941. No studio wanted him to direct this. They wanted Lucas to direct it himself. And Lucas said, nope, I promised my friend. So they said, well, if he does this, first of all, 20th Century Fox, who is putting out Star Wars, turned him down because of Spielberg. And when they finally got to Paramount, they were like, well, if you're going to give it to Spielberg, Spielberg needs to bring it in at this time, at this budget, or we're 
were pulling him. And so Spielberg yeah. said he had to lean back on his TV instincts. So it's so amazing, Feaster, as you were saying, like so many shots are so precise and perfect. And he did not have the time that he would have on pretty much any other film, you yeah. know, to get that just right. It was almost like, like the first take had to be great every single time. And I think it, it lends an energy to this film that the others just don't have. There's just an electricity under every scene. And I think because you yeah. can feel the crew running as fast as India is running. Yeah. Well, um, and I want to go back a second, something Elliot mentioned with that shot where Indy is, he's running down the alley. He comes right up to the camera. It's a close up on his eyes. And then the camera pulls back. I think, I think that's the same camera move from Jaws that they do with Roy Scheider. Mm -hmm. Uh, during the the shark attack, I, I, I'm not sure, but you know, if there's a cinematographer out there, but I think that's the same camera move. How you get that close up and pull, fast pull out into like a wide shot, because it it gives you this sense of panic and confusion, um, not just from what the actor is doing, but from what the camera is doing and how it kind of distorts things a, a bit. Uh, another one of those just amazing shots. Out of this film um it yeah, again I, I watch this movie over and over and it just it blows me away every time yeah that shot is a dolly zoom what happens is they're pushing the camera Thank in you. and zooming the camera out it was a big hitchcock thing and spielberg stole it from hitchcock and you're right you do see it in jaws i think you probably see it in every spielberg film but yeah it's so effective right before we get, uh, we go back, there are a couple other bits. I even wanted to talk a little bit about Dave's uh, uh, comparisons between Indy and Bond. I want to uh, dangle out this little thread real quick uh, that I saw so much of James Bond, of Indiana Jones in Daniel Craig's Bond in um, Skyfall. I, I swear, it's like it felt like Craig was doing. Uh, Bond as Indiana Jones. But I want to put a pin in that real quick because both you, uh, before we get too far in, John and Tom Feaster, you guys have Indiana Jones toys that I'm very jealous of. And I was first, um, we do have a feature on the show uh, on, pre on the MCU review where we talk about the, the toys that would come out for each particular Marvel film. Uh, John, you were going to walk us through the toys that came out for Raiders of the Lost Ark. Sure. So Indiana Jones is, has a very spotty relationship with merchandise. Um, they were not expecting this movie to be the hit it was. They were expecting it to do pretty well. So the toy companies and the poster companies and the t-shirt companies were not lining up for them on this. So you, we actually don't get the Kenner's action figure line until 1982, a full year later, which is actually when I saw the movie. Um, they were just given the Raiders license because they had Star Wars and they were successful with Star Wars. And they went right to three and three quarter, which is what they were doing with Star Wars. And it failed. Um, it's known as a notable failure. There are many armchair critics that say why that happened. Um, but most prevalent is the fact that kids bought Indiana Jones and no one else. So everybody peg warmed. But it was a really nice line. Um and I only have one original left. I had the whole line when I was a kid, but I only have Tote left, which comes with this little plastic over jacket. Uh, I found him in a comic book store 10 years ago for about $3. Uh, he was very, very easy to find. I think the price has gone up. 
the but the one original thing I actually have since childhood, it may be the only toy that I have since childhood. And of course, I buy toys every week. So it's not like I'm hurting for them. But I do have, let me get this in here, the original Kenner Well of Souls playset, which was the only playset in the line. It's fairly small. It's about the size of the Creature Cantina from Star Wars. But it has everything you need. And this is, uh, as I said, I've only put the original pieces in here. I'm missing a lot of them. And I got a lot from when Crystal Skull came out. Hasbro returned to that scale. So I, I usually display this with new pieces. But what I still have are the arches, the cover of the arc, and then the breakaway wall, which uh, my favorite part about this is you turn it around and it's actually got a mummy crypt. And I, this was used for everything because in the 70s and 80s, three and three quarter was G.I. Joe and Star Wars. And uh, even when this wasn't an Indiana Jones set, it worked for every weird uh, supernatural desert set. They are very expensive to come by now. Uh, every time I try to rebuy that line, uh, it is impossible. And with the new movie Dial of Destiny coming out, Hasbro's announced that they are making Marvel Legends style Indiana Jones, which is a form they've never done before. I don't expect it to be a big success, but I ha I am pre-ordering every single item they're putting out. But Feaster, you said you you have more of the original Kenner series. Well, I, I've got the 12-inch uh, Indiana Jones. Uh, there's four of them here. Uh, one is my original, and then I was able to find one in a box that was still boxed. Um, I hesitate to move them because it's going to cause an avalanche of Marvel Legends figures. Um, but this is my original indie. And, uh, you know, I was able to, over the years, the hat was lost, but the belt, jacket, shirt, and pants and boots were all original. Uh, he's got his whip here. Whoop, there we go. There's his whip. Uh, his gun and holster. You can see that belt has not aged well. But um, over the years, just trying to replace parts that I had lost from mine, uh, I ended up amassing four indies now. Um, I've got two that are, well, this one in the box, and then this one is in damn near mint. It's, it, it's the, the hat was originally, um, you know, those like tags that they used to put price tags on things. That's what holds his hat on. It goes right through the skull and into the hat. Um, but when I was a kid, I had the smaller three and three quarter indie as well. And I, like most kids, broke his thumb off pretty quickly, um, which the quality of those figures just wasn't nearly as good as the Star Wars figures. They just didn't hold up. Uh, their change in terms of material didn't last as long as the Star Wars toys. Um, and then, you know, I think I had, I think I had his horse too. There was an Indian and Arabian horse you could buy as well. Um, and then I still have my like Indiana Jones storybooks and basically any book that I saw that year, because there was no Indiana Jones. If I saw Indiana Jones stuff, yeah, there you go. I'm very jealous of those. Um, a friend of mine a few years ago sent me boxes of Indiana Jones cover. Um, I think they're in French, uh, and they're beautifully drawn, um, like European comics of Indiana Jones. No idea what the story is. God, they're just great to look at. 
Um, but yeah, the, 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 the Kenner Indiana Jones, like I, I just love them to death. I, I never planned on having four. I'll probably sell some of the extras at some point, but I still just kind of like looking over there and seeing a, a, a group of Indies staring back at me. Yeah, I, I tried to keep if, mine. Now, the, the six-inch ones, you... Go ahead. Oh, no, I tried to keep my 12-inch. I was going to say that the six-inch uh, Kenner's coming out with, or Hasbro's coming out with. <laughs> Sorry, we got a bit of a lag. Um, so th they're doing a repro of the original three-and-three-quarter indie um, through Hasbro, and it looks pretty good. It looks a lot like the original indie, and I'm probably going to grab one of those because the vintage indies are – I, I still look for that stuff fairly regularly, and, and you're right. The prices are, are just out of hand for what I'm willing to spend on them. I'm very jealous of your Well of Souls, though. Hopefully we'll see another Well of Souls set at some point. Yeah, the Well of Souls survived. I tried to keep my 12-inch Kenner Indy alive as long as possible, but I lost the hat. I lost the whip. I lost the gun. Eventually, I lost his shoes. I lost his jacket. Uh, the only thing I had left was his shirt and his pants. And I ended up buying an extra Sideshow Indiana Jones and ripped up the original Kenner uh, shirt, tore the sleeve off, put the slashes in, tore the knee out. And that's my Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom Sideshow custom, which they didn't get oh, to nice. for years. Yeah. But that's all that's left of my Kenner Indiana Jones. They're, you know, honestly, the, the Kenner Indiana, the 12-inch Indiana Jones are out there and they're not nearly as expensive as the three and three quarter. So if you take a look, they're out there. I mean, I, I think the most I paid for my boxed one, I think I spent a hundred on that and it's really, you know, new it's mint in, in, in the box. And when it, I spent a hundred bucks on it. And um, my favorite thing about know, when that, I saw Indiana that price, I jumped on it, but they're, they're not absurdly expensive. Yeah. My favorite thing about that Indiana Jones is like the rest of the merchandise. It was slapped together a year later because nobody expected it to be this big. And it's just their hand solo 12 inch down to the hair. Like he has this yeah. big 70s Sean Cassidy hair under that hat. Yeah, the only difference is the eye color. The the um which one let me see. Yeah, the the uh India the in, Han Solo has brown eyes and the Indy has blue eyes. They still have my Han. Bob like did did they think Indy did Harrison Ford change eye color for for the movies, I, I have no idea. I'll tell you this though: I, when I was seven years old and seeing Raiders of the Lost Ark, I had no idea that that was Han Solo. Years before I realized, oh my God, that's the same guy. Ooh, Indiana that, Jones was the same guy from from Witness, but I didn't know he was the same guy from Star Wars. Nah, that's an interesting question of when this movie came out. It came out in 1981, and we talk about the ground being prepared. Empire Strikes Back had been out for a year. So we've got two Han Solo movies. And we have, what, 15, 16 years of James Bond movies out of, of this type of uh, swashbuckling action adventure. So in terms of the, the audience readiness, it really is surprising that they didn't th think that toys would be popular with with this given how much groundwork had been laid over the preceding 15 20 years going back to dr no that you could assume that this would potentially be a big i guess because potentially the 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 um the slapdash production 
or the, the hurried production. Maybe they didn't just didn't see it coming. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I think it, it makes much... sense. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I I think it makes sense because you know the Bond toys never took off. I mean, I know there were Bond toys for Thunderball and a few other films, but they they never really took off in any way. Um, I mean, there was even a Moonraker. I think they did Jaws and James Bond, but they did nothing in terms of business. Um, and so, I, you know, Indy was not as uh, immediately kid-friendly as Star Wars was. So I think it makes sense that they were probably a little caught off guard that kids would be into Indiana Jones as much as they were. Yeah, and Because he was more of a Bond guy. Yeah, and the line the line did fail. They only got out about twelve figures. Uh, one playset uh, they did the truck and the horse and the streets of Cairo was a very small line because it it didn't sell. And as we go to do the rest of the movies, the Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom action figure line was even worse. Kenner didn't Ugh. even bother. Went to LJN, and by the time we get to the Last Crusade, there is nothing. They didn't they didn't even try. In the summer of eighty nine. Batman was on every toy shelf. There was nothing Indiana Jones. I mean, maybe this movie does kind of skew a little bit older, but older in the way that it would still appeal to, say, a nine-year-old. In terms of the 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 content and the, I mean, there's a lot of it. I mean, Indy flat out shoots a guy, but I mean, you know, Bugs Bunny flat out shot a guy, so. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't think I'll yeah, ever hear a comparison. Well, you've got Nazis, and and at that time, like, grandparents were still kind of, you know, World War II survivors, and and you know, it was a very different time. And so I can kind of understand why toy companies weren't super excited about embracing Nazi action figures. Well, I did I mean, see they still a, won't touch it. I, yeah, I did see a great a great commentary. I, I forget where it was, but I saw a great commentary that, that Raiders of the Lost Ark makes the Nazis look truly ridiculous in terms of just, of just pathetic, like few other movies ever had um, up until that point of, of maybe the producers, maybe the producers, yeah, the say, producers no. might be. Yeah. Mel Brooks would be the only one who could who could possibly pull that off, but but in terms of 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 because they are kind of they're they're menace in this movie and they're they're scary but they're not nearly as scary as the Ark itself. It's like they're they're villains they're bad they're awful awful one 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 thing of like you know there's always that kick thing about have the villain kick the dog. In in a in a movie, the scene where they get back to Cairo after Indy uh, steals the truck, they have the, the head Nazi or whatever, take the piece of fruit from the vendor and throw it on the ground. And you hear a dog go, you hear a dog go like that. That's like, that's just great. Cause you make him just look like this petty dick while doing it. It's just like, okay, so not only they're bad guys, but they're weenies too. <laughs> They hit a dog, son of a bitch. Hit a they, dog. They also poison someone... a monkey who truly deserves it. No, yeah, the monkey truly deserves. There's the not a lot of monkeys that deserve poisoning, but this one did. The monkey was just following orders. The monkey ratted out Marion oh, in the basket. Come on. <laughs> the monkey immediately the monkey dying made my wife yeah. very upset. 
I it made me upset too. It always makes me upset. Which my is my why wife I, was not was not uh, had no qualms about killing that monkey. Nah, see that's why I love the monkey scene in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull because that's when the monkeys redeem themselves. In Raiders, they betrayed Indy, and this one they help him. So uh, that's why I, I don't know I what you're I don't know what you're referring to. Oh God! No, you're not one of those. Just <laughs> <laughs> says he's not returning for the Crystal Skull episode. That's fine. I've got other guests. Anyway, before before we get too far away, oh, I, I get I get much worse than that. Elliot can tell you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for those who missed, uh, if you were listening to the audio podcast version of this show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, you did miss. John Clark and Tom Feaster showing off their indie toys. So if that's something you would like to do, you could always catch the show as part of the video archive on our Facebook and YouTube page. If you go to the MCU Review YouTube page, make sure you click on Live, where you will see all the live broadcasts that we have done. If you go to the Top Men and Indiana Jones podcast Facebook page, Again, you want to click on videos to see an archive of this show in video format. All right. Uh, I did stick a pin, and you guys also talked a little bit about that, Indiana Jones and James Bond. Um, And this is where I get to uh, return the favor to my friend Dave Pino, who, again, huge James Bond fan, taught me so much about Bond. I'm telling you. I got such a greater appreciation of James Bond doing Shaken Not Heard with Dave um, that more than I have now. And I'm even looking forward to the recasting of Bond uh, with um, uh, with the new, uh, I guess, the who, well, who's, who are they, who's the rumor now, Dave, that they think might be the next Bond? The latest thing is uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson, a.k.a. Uh, Quick, Quicksilver. Quicksilver. Yeah. And I, we, I just saw him in Bullet Train, uh, playing kind of a Bondish type character. So I could, I could, I can see it. But um, uh, let me throw this out to the to the group because Dave did bring this up before. Um, yeah, James Bond has become he's like uh, like Doctor Who, where you almost expect a new actor to play him over time, and um, audiences now have accepted it. But for some reason, not happening with Indy. Why is that the case? Why are audiences less are less uh, um, willing to accept a recasting of Indiana Jones when we've recast Batman how many times? We've recast Spider-Man. There are so many different characters that have been recast. Why can't we do it with Indiana Jones? There's a big difference between Indiana Jones and all the other characters that you mentioned is uh, James Bond, Batman, Spider-Man are all movie adaptations of print. The characters were created in another media and then the movie is an adaptation. So it's never a one-to-one. So when a new actor becomes Batman, it's a new interpretation. This move, Indiana Jones starts with this movie. It, it The character does not exist before this movie and there's no other version to lean on. There was the young Indiana Jones television series, but that didn't take off. Uh, so he's Harrison Ford is so identified with the character because we don't really have another medium to weigh against the movie. 
I think. But we've recast Captain Kirk, you know, William Shatner, Chris Pine, and now a third guy in uh, Strange New Worlds. We've recast Spock twice. They didn't exist before in television. That's true. And I'm still shocked they did that. Uh, there was a lot of pushback of recasting William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy, but to J.J. Abrams' credit, he he did take a big swing. I think uh, Harrison Ford is still vital. M- maybe that's it, because uh, Shatner and Nimoy are, were sunsetting their careers. I mean, Nimoy passed away before the third movie was made, and Shatner Shatner's, you know, n- almost 90. So he's not really working as much. So I think there was a passing of the torch, whereas Harrison Ford's still very vital. You know, he did another Blade Runner. He did another Star Wars. He has a show with Jason Siegel coming out this week. He did a Yellowstone series. Like He's working yeah. all the time. So I think audiences will always see somebody pushing Harrison Ford out of the spotlight. I, I And I think with Harrison Ford's personality, I don't see him graciously passing the torch. There's that shot in Crystal Skull when we get to it of Shia LaBeouf picking up his hat and him taking it back because they knew the audience wouldn't accept the franchise going forward with Shia LaBeouf. That's I think people just love I, I Harrison just, Ford the most. I found this. Um, yeah. Harrison Ford's just being greedy and selfish. <laughs> <laughs> I found this funny, funny tweet a while ago that was about basically implying that Harrison Ford, like couldn't give less of a shit about Han Solo at this point. Like he's just make as many Han Solo moves as you want, cast whoever you want, but he's very protective of Harrison Ford. He's like of Indy. And it's like, if you try to recast Indiana Jones, I will gut you and your entire family. <laughs> yeah, the, the famous quote he said, when I'm gone, he's gone. Yeah, exactly. Dave, uh, and yeah. you know, he didn't have a problem with uh, another Han Solo. Audiences well, did. Well, yeah, Dave, yeah. I wonder that I wonder though if River Phoenix with... was still around if that if he would have passed the torch to River Phoenix. Apparently, that was the idea for Young Indiana Jones, that uh, River Phoenix was supposed to be starring in it, but uh, River Phoenix didn't want to do it. He was too big a star for television. This is still in the days where television was seen as much lesser than movies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I was now in retrospect, I think when Sean Connery passed, well, not so much passed the baton, but, you know, gave up. He gave up the role of Bond. He said, I don't want to do it anymore. Right. Dave, am I wrong in saying that? Yeah, he was uh, burnt out by, uh, if certainly by you only live twice. You start to see the signs of it, arguably in Thunderball. But you only live twice. Very famous for him, like kind of sleepwalking his way through that movie, compared to, you know, his performance in Doctor No and for Marshall with Love and Goldfinger. Um, and then of course they brought in George Lazenby, and you know, at the time. Um, they didn't know if that would work. They didn't know if audiences would accept a, a new actor playing James Bond because at, to that point, there had only been one James Bond. Um, and, you know, a lot of the early um, posters and, and teasers for Honor Majesty's Secret Service, uh, there's not much focus on Bond. You don't see his, his, he's kind of obscured in the shadows. They didn't really want to push this idea Um too soon onto the audiences of accept of, oh, here's a new guy. It's not Sean Connery anymore. And then, of course, Lazenby famously left, turned down, a I think, a seven-film contract. Uh, and then they just threw a – they backed a dump truck full of cash into Connery's <laughs> his driveway and got him to come back for one more movie. 
So maybe that has to do with that, that uh, Harrison Ford is just the whole, look, I, if I can be indie, I'm still going to be indie. But as yeah, Han Solo, eh, whatever. We'll yeah. Do, do yeah. I always think of this quote, uh, Conan O'Brien used to have Harrison Ford on all the time because Conan was the first one to figure out that, that Harrison Ford's grumpiness and reticent to be in interviews could be funny. <laughs> and that kind of gave Harrison Ford his sense of humor. And at one point before Force Awakens, he said, well, they're talking about doing another Star Wars and they want you to be Han Solo. That would be nice. And Harrison Ford goes, it'd be more than nice. <laughs> it was like clear. It's like even in that joke, it was all about the money, even though he turns in a really good performance in Force Awakens. Uh, but he, he, he was the highest paid person on that film. I think he got 50 million for that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. And I would say I would say he, he earned it because it's the best of those films. Um, but Indy, he, he loves, he loves his character. I, I'm, I always wonder what it would have happened if Lucas and Spielberg had kind of more of their shit together and put out an Indiana Jones every three years, the way they wanted to, if we had, if it was like Dave, like the bond schedule and, you know, by the mid nineties, when Harrison Ford is making Jack Ryan movies, if he would have been on his seventh, eighth Indiana Jones, maybe he would want to retire then. But I think there might be something in him that's like, I didn't get to do this enough times. Yeah. Yeah. So much of this movie is very fresh. Yeah. Because there everyone's kind of feeling out this character. It's the first time we'd seen anything kind of like this. And arguably since old like Doc Sampson serials and things like that since the 40s and the 50s. So there's a lot of, I guess you could say, relearning on the job that Harrison Ford and Steven Spielberg and George Lucas had to do to make this character kind of come alive that you just, well, I, I mean, I we, think... I'm sorry. there's, because there's, there's the bond references there, which, which gets, um, we'll talk about a lot when we get to last crusade, because it's very, very literal at that point, but all of the things that needed to be relearned compared to the experiences with the bond films, because if we talked about, I think Elliot referenced uh, Skyfall, the the straightening of the tie after falling out of the the claw in Skyfall, you know, Bond falls down and he, he gets up, straightens himself up, and straightens his tie. Indiana Jones doesn't straighten his tie. <laughs> Indiana Jones, you know, stumbles up and he's like, look, pulls a look into the camera or something like that. Like he's so damn tired. Yeah, and that that's why I like him. More than Bond. That's why I think he's my favorite character because he's so over his head. He's not trained how to fight. He's just like, there's just a Nazi in his way. So he's going to punch him in the face. And you see the way Harrison Ford fights in that. He throws his whole body into those punches. Like he's, he's hoping that this one will knock the guy down. He doesn't have a strategy. He doesn't have a plan. His clothes are all wrinkled and dusty. He like, he loses as much as he wins and there's a you know there's a famous uh, fan theory, which which I think was on the Big Bang Theory, but it traveled around the internet for a long time. Is that people said, oh, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark is a failure because Indiana Jones does nothing to advance the plot. If Indiana Jones wasn't in this movie, the Nazis would have found the Ark, opened it up, and their faces would have melted. Indiana Jones doesn't stop that from happening, and that is why I like him. <laughs> because he doesn't win. He never wins in every one of these movies he talks about. He never brings the artifact back. He loses it every single time. He's He, he never completely is victorious, but he just throws 100% of himself 
into the situation all the time. And that's, that's what I love about this character. I'm going to, I had a friend, a writer friend. No, I'm saying a writer friend who's sorry. I I had a writer friend who used the term, um, he's Indiana Jones fails upward. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) He does fail every time, but it just seems to manage to work out for him. Anyway, he fails upward. And I, I, I can't think of a better encapsulation of Indiana Jones than, than that phrase. I mean, I'm going to push back on the fact that he that he he's inconsequential to what happens because if Indy doesn't go after the Ark, chances are Marion's dead right now. The the oh, Nazis yeah. are going to find her, they're going to torture her, and and they're not going to let her live. Tote's probably going to like burn her alive with the the Ravenwood bar. Um, and yeah. do, does the the Ark end up on that island where where Balak um, tries to perform the ritual? We're not sure about that. How do we not know that Balak isn't going, wow, Indy had the Ark for a while. Maybe he switched things on us. We need to make sure we're doing the right thing here. Um, but ultimately, though, all the Indiana Jones films, if you look at them, what is Indy after in each movie it's not so much the artifact itself, it's the relationships, right? By the time the Nazis have the Ark, he doesn't care anymore about the Ark. He's like, I want to rescue Marion. He threatens to blow her. it up. Yeah, but he doesn't blow yeah. it up because you know he threatens to blow it up, but then his weakness is that he also has that yearning for knowledge to see what, what can happen. You know, Even though in the end, he already knows what's going to happen. He's familiar enough with the, the mythology of the Ark to know that you open that thing up, y'all, they're all going to die anyway. Well, that's so. something that's alluded to over the entire course of the movie. Like for, um, we, we even, we haven't mentioned Marcus Brody yet. Yes. And Marcus has that one little line at the beginning of the movie. You could, you could, could call the, that uh, character, the, the voice of gravitas. He's saying, it's like, no one knows its secrets. And it's like nothing you've gone after that little bit where the camera focuses on him. And then you, I think that might be some of the first, one of the first instances of the arc theme. We get it earlier in that little debriefing, but very quietly, it kind of builds into that. And then that, that, that feeling about the danger of the arc reinforced later by Sala. And at first, Indy's dismissive, and then he's a little, little less dismissive. And then when it, we have the the scene with the old man, then in decoding the um, the headpiece of the staff of Ra, you have that that wind blowing, right before they're digging in the wrong the great the great double line they're digging in the wrong place, um, of the danger. There's, there's warnings that are issued of like, don't go this way. Don't do this. Don't do this. You really should not be messing with this. Um, and in the end, it, it, the Indy's lesson is he moves from being dismissive of it to, no, I really do need to take this seriously. And I should not look at this when they're opening it and not taking this seriously and making a mockery of it. Well, that's a theme that they'll also uh, bring up in Temple, uh, Temple of Doom, you know, where an Indy finds herself in the village and the old man says, that's why Shiva sent you. It's like Indy is like an agent of, of the higher powers that there is something happening. Something has been lost. Something has been misplaced. There's a balance that needs to be restored. And Indy, the skeptic that he is, is being called upon to bring that balance back or to restore that 
which has been lost, which is why when people talk about, well, let's do an Indiana Jones where it's an indigenous person stealing from from museums and bringing it back. I'm like, I can, most of the indie movies is him giving back what people wanted lost in the first place, <laughs> you know, with the exception of Raiders of the Lost Ark. But that's the government saying, hey, we're sending you to get this thing. And, you know, where was it going to go? But still. Those, those are topics we will we will bring up in future episodes. <laughs> well, Spielberg does such an excellent job of making you care about Indy and then raising the stakes in the action where you don't care if he gets the arc. You just want him to survive. You know, it, it the anticipation you find in the action scenes is is how is he going to live through this? It's not like how is he gonna how is he gonna get the arc this time? It's not the years, it's the miles. Mm -hmm. Can someone tell me how Indy got his leather jacket back if he left it on the Bantu wind to swim out to the Nazi sub? He doesn't get his leather jacket back in that movie. Yeah, but everyone yeah. says he's he has it again in, in later films. They insist that it's the same. You could buy jacket. another jacket. I know, but I'm and you know the jacket and the hat change every movie. They do change in every film. If well, I wore you know my leather jacket, I'd probably get it, I'd probably replace the leather jacket. No, but in a dial yeah, especially of with the bullet holes. Yeah, yeah, in Dial of Destiny, uh, if you if you purchase the Dial of Destiny edition jacket from Westhead uh, Leather, uh, they will they do one a version where they sew up the bullet hole in his sleeve. So it's supposed to be the same jacket from all the movies. Yeah, I I I can't imagine that jacket would survive from the 30s to the late 60s. It might be the same jacket that he has in Crystal Skull, but that's like, I, it. I mean. I mean I, you know, you don't think he has the same hat? No, I don't. Just like I know that that leather jacket would not survive being dragged under a truck. Because yeah. I had a leather jacket like that, and my cat ripped it to shreds. So <laughs> if my cat can rip it apart, I know it's not going to survive. I was going to say, was your cat dragged under a truck for wearing no, my it? my cat was the truck. Because you were very specific. He was like, he just stick to it. Anyway. You know, one thing you guys haven't really touched on is is – uh, um, how Indiana Jones is really the perfect product of the noir heroes. I mean, it was something that you don't really see in Bond. Um, you know, Indy was this kind of compromised hero from the start. You know, he was a grave robber. He was, you know, messing with underage girls. Like, he, he was not afraid to kill somebody in cold blood. Um, well, you, you know, do, see, you do see that in the Bond movies and in, in, uh, in the Craig ones. And that was that was uh, you could argue that that's something blood, yeah yeah that's something arguably that the that the the Craig films steal from from the indie films. I yeah. say, but to the other effect, let's let's be honest too, because so much is made about Indiana Jones uh, being quote unquote an archaeologist. When even Spielberg and Lucas themselves will say he's not so much an archaeologist as a, a grave robber, right? And and. Yeah. That's that is a that is a bit of a, a running joke in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, where I know Tom uh, Tom Feaster. I don't know. I don't, did you see that movie? Do you remember anything of it, or was the experience? I, I don't know. You shut it out. I, I don't know what you're talking about. There's just there's those two Indiana Jones movies, and I don't know why they stopped after Temple of Doom. <laughs> wow. Wow. You have erased Last Crusade. That is something to unpack. <laughs> I'm sorry. What? 
anyway, it's the lag, I understand. I, I, it's it's the lag from nineteen eighty four. I'm hearing chirps and whistles and, and yeah. <laughs> but uh, Indy is, yes, as you said, he's a compromised hero. He's amoral. He's, uh, yeah. he's got questionable ethics. Um, yeah. And I will say in Raiders, Raiders is the one where Indy is the most murdery. I mean, he <laughs> kills people like without remorse in this one. As opposed mm. to like, let's say, uh, Temple of Doom, where he has the fight with the big, you know, the big burly guy on the conveyor belt and actually wants to see, he, he wants to beat the guy up. He doesn't want to kill him. And he actually tries yeah. to save him, you know, from going under the giant crusher, but, but fails. Um, Pretty murdery in last crusade too. Well, murder. I'm trying to remember about last crusade. He doesn't kill anyone who isn't actively trying to kill him first. Okay. You know, okay. I mean like the swordsman in Raiders, I mean, that was pretty, that was pretty cold-blooded. I mean, just, I mean, although we don't, we're not sure if he killed the swordsman. For all we know, the swordsman got up later and went, oh, my arm. Nobody thinks know. that swordsman got up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> First time I've ever heard that. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I will agree yeah. of any being a compromised hero because one of the, one of the major influences that doesn't get talked about enough is there's a lot of Bogart in yes. India. Yeah. Especially in this, uh, the hat is from Treasure Sierra Madre. Yep. But I was thinking about it in um, uh, when he's in the bar, when he meets Marion in the bar, it's very Bogart. Mm-hmm. You know, very it's very one. like, yeah, I did what I did. Yeah, I don't have to be, you don't have to be happy about it. But, you know, it's, it's that, that coarseness. And of course, when we get to Temple of Doom, he's wearing Rick's tuxedo from Casablanca. Like there's and Bogart was always a compromised character. They, they, yeah. they, there has been reference, uh, much like Tom Hanks has been called the the modern day Jimmy Stewart. Uh, Harrison Ford is like a modern day Humphrey Bogart. You know, there have been those parallels there. Um, real quick, between Magic and Dreams said, Crystal Skull wasn't too bad. I think it's a friend of yours, uh, Feaster. You're saying that <laughs> not anymore. Uh, Lehman, a regular viewer of all our different shows, asks, where did the title Top Men originally come from for the podcast? Well, that will come factor in at the end of this movie. Uh, uh, Tom Feaster, can you explain to us where the term Top Men comes from? Uh, when Indy is meeting with the government officials at the end of the film, and uh, he's told that um, the Ark is going to be taken from him, and instead of it being given to a museum as he wanted, uh, top men from the government, we assume, are going to be working on researching the powers of the Ark. And when Indiana Jones inquires about it, all he's told is top men. He doesn't get any names. He doesn't get any information. So um, that, that's where the name comes from. These mysterious top men from the government uh, will be taking this incredibly powerful uh, potential weapon. By the way, the government agent who says top men is Porkins from Star Wars and Eckhart from the Tim Burton Batman. Yep. Uh, look, I figured everybody would know that. And then Tom's face just dropped. <laughs> 
he also, oh my God. <laughs> he is also part of Lex Luthor's cadre in Superman 4, The Quest for oh. Peace. When oh, I was a kid, we called him Fat Richard Dreyfus. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I remember Tom, that. Everyone, everyone Tom, knows Porkins. I only just learned yesterday that the guy who Indiana Jones uh, – who takes a shot at Indiana Jones in the beginning of the movie is the same actor who plays the monkey man. Yeah. Hmm. And the German mechanic is the thuggy guard in uh, temple of doom. And uh, one, the biggest guy in the bar is it stuntman Pat Roach. I mean, Indy takes, Indy takes his licks from Dr. Octopus there in the beginning. Yeah. yeah. You can't, He's yeah. the first one to tell us not to trust Dr. Octopus. Right. He's the first one to tell you not to trust Dr. Octopus. Um, I kind of I wish they would bring – I know I know he gets he gets spiked through the head. But wouldn't it be cool if Alfred Merlina was one of the people that came back for Tyler Destiny? I mean, you could do it. He, he has a twin brother or something It'd be like a different that. character. Well, well, yeah. it's, it's, he, look, he looks different enough now after 40-some years. Right. Yeah. character. Well, the if they're going to do a cameo, I want short round back just for a minute or two. Uh, no, that's a, that's not a cameo. That's a, that's that's four or five. That's either a full Disney Plus series or at least three movies. Oh, I know. Uh, Kwan is going around hugging everyone he worked with as a child actor, and but, we yeah. are all here for it. Yes, but I think he hugged Spielberg I, I and the Goonies yeah. last week. I think Indy's a better archaeologist, maybe than it might be suspected, because he at least does his research. He gives a whole le- uh, lecture on uh, Neolithic grave goods in the beginning of the uh, movie that nobody's paying attention to because they're watching all the other stuff. But he's he going through. Uh, if you look at his notes on the board, um, I don't know if you guys, did you guys ever do any archaeology study in college or anything like that. No, I had the same thing as Feaster. I Elliot, the Elliot dark did. didn't melt anybody, and I stopped. Okay, then, 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 then that was it. Yeah. And it was more seriation dating than I, I was face melting. Betrayed. But it, it's it's funny that they bring that they they. It's almost like he has a secret identity because outwardly he's talking about well, there's a danger of folk folklore. There's a danger of going in and, and, and ravaging all of this great information that we get from an unspoiled tomb. Because if you talk to archeologists, the, so a lot of the things that they really are interested in are pottery or, or, or non, not necessarily shiny objects, but, but the, all the little details of how ordinary people live. And you could really screw that up by, by the hunt for gold. And that's something that's emphasized in that scene in the university that Indy himself is emphasizing. And then he finishes the lecture saying everything that is all good details about archaeology. Okay. You need to read this. You need to study this, you know, all these site reports and things like that, where they're doing undoubtedly doing like seriation dating and all that stuff. And then he gives a little look to Marcus Brody. And it's like that little bit of like, it's, you know, it's that little Alfred in the bat cave type thing where it's like, okay, like now the mask comes off and now we get this little bit, you know, or the, you know, Clark Kent straightens his back a little bit, you know, it's that little moment there, you know, of, of a uh, superhero quality, I guess. There is a duality. Well, you can tell his heart isn't really in the teaching. Well, I think too that they, they, you will throughout the movies when you see Indy in the classroom versus out in the field. It's you're right. They're two. It's like two different characters, 
And it's like the classroom version of Indy is more real archaeologist, whereas the field version of Indy is everything that archaeologists don't want you to do <laughs> or don't want you to be. Um, so, it's yeah. funny if you think about if, if I'm sorry, uh, and I'll I'll reference this that third movie only because I have to. But if you think about um, what he was raised with, um, in terms of a father who was engrossed in his books, it makes sense that he would reject that because of how he felt about his father and become the guy who wants to be in the field, getting dirty, you know, breaking things, smashing through, and and really mixing it up because uh, he felt so rejected by the the more bookish side of that profession. Makes sense? Oh, true. Yeah, no, I can see that. In story, I can see that. But I also know um, production-wise, before uh, Last Crusade would come out, and I remember reading the articles again, every once in a while when a new Indiana Jones movie is coming around, you have all these articles from actual archaeologists that criticize the character while they credit him for helping get more people into the field of archaeology, they criticize his methods. Um, and I remember reading a, par a particular article where they talked about, well, yeah, real archaeology, you know, the majority of it, you're, it's research. You're just doing research for the most part. You're not going out there and, and digging up stuff. You're researching things, which is why in Last Crusade, what does he say? The majority of archaeology takes place in the library, you know, <laughs> you know, in research, da, 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 da. again, addressing the real world aspect of archaeology and then and then say, yes, uh, 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 was it treasure maps never, you know, lead to lost treasure. X never marks the spot. And in the same movie, X does end up marking the spot. So I think they have fun with it. They have a little, you know, the, you can tell the screenwriters are having a little fun with the conceit of archaeology, with the profession of archaeology and the conceit that this character is an, a movie archaeologist, which, uh, again, you, you don't go to the movies. I mean, it, you don't go to the movies to get fine examples of archaeology, police work, lawyers, <laughs> you know, or, mean, or spies. Or spies. Oh, yeah. James, Bond, James Bond is as real a spy as Indiana Jones is an archaeologist. You know, you, yeah, you want to see a real British yeah. spy, you have to watch Smiley's people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a whole there's the whole bit of I was just thinking just now where they try to seal Indy and Marion in, in the well of souls. And I'm sure every Egyptologist would be screaming at the top of their lungs at the screen that's just like you can't just assume it's like it's like there's no way that to find an untouched a completely sealed uh, Egyptian temple like that. This is like by 1936. Howard Carter excavates Tutankhamun in what, 22? There's no way that's not on the cover of Time magazine. The idea that the Nazis are able to complete keep this secret is totally just, it's 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 just part of the, the suspension of disbelief. There's no way that's not on the cover of Time magazine within a week because of because of the public's interest in Egyptology. Yeah, but who's going to take a picture of it? You have Nazis crawling all over the place. Well, technically, the British the British are the imperial authorities in Egypt at the time. Uh, so the uh, the uh, the Tommies can always come over there with a few uh, Lewis guns and snuff them out pretty quickly if they needed to be, which is never addressed. The fact that Egypt is uh, under the British, uh, uh, part of the British Empire at this time, 
the Nazis are running around with multiple yep. machine guns and and the, the fact that British authorities apparently have nothing to say about the issue. I mean, I mean, it's the, the British, British had their, their hands full at that time. Yeah, they did. But, you know, in fairness, in fairness. In fairness. All right. I think it's time for us to bring this train into the station, much like uh, Mutt Williams did for Indy in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Uh, no, no, you're not getting. No, it's not registered. No idea. No idea. <laughs> Just, Let's nothing, have our closing thoughts about Raiders of the Lost Ark, Mister Feaster, if you would lead us off. Closing thoughts, uh, greatest movie ever made. It, it's a damn shame they only made two of them. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I've seen this movie countless times. I never tire of it. Um, seeing it last night with my kids, uh, first of all, it's, I, I love that I can share this movie with them and still uh, see it in the theater every now and then, every couple of years it comes around. Uh, but last night I even discovered something that I hadn't noticed before where um, – Harrison Ford has this great little take where Belloc tells him to sit down before you fall down. And he does this very kind of petulant, you know, immature little move when he pulls the chair out, like, Oh, sure. I'll, I'll pull out the chair. And it's, it, it, and I'd never, I've seen this movie 200 times, at least never noticed that before. And I love that about this movie that there's so much care and precision in this movie that you can still discover things in it, even when you've seen it 200 times. That's a good call. Uh, Dave, as far as understanding indie a little more, just like you helped me understand Bond, how has the first episode of Top Men and Indiana Jones podcast been for you? Uh, it's been a blast as usual. Um, I, you know, you guys clearly have a, a a ton of passion for this character in these movies uh, just like I do for Bond. And I, like I said earlier at the start of the show, there's uh, there's definitely a big overlap between the characters while there's plenty of differences. There's also a lot of fun similarities and parallels we'll see. Uh, I think even more so with the next couple, at least the next two uh, indie films we're covering. Um, so I, I'm looking forward to doing a, another deep dive on the next few films. Glad to hear that. Tom Jetner. You're you're muted, buddy. Oh, uh, it's amazing that we can go through this movie over the course of an hour and a half and feel like there's still more to talk about. We we, we talked about sound design. We, t we touched briefly on score the 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 use of not just of the indie theme but the various other uh late motifs um they have the um they have the the marion theme which is very creepy uh, very similar to princess leia's theme from from the original star wars um that is uh that's very evocative the arc theme is as doing this uh, great job of setting the mood and setting the tone of of mystery and dread and we we could spend another hour and a half on that when we talk about how densely layered this movie is and um 
if I were to finish finish up, it it's a testament to this movie that you could watch the entirety of this movie on mute and get a great reaction to it. You could also list, watch the entire movie with your eyes closed and get a lot out of it. So the fact that you could remove any one of your senses at a given point and still get as much as you can out of this movie is a testament to everyone who worked on it from the actors to the director, the, this, the, the cinematographer, the camera people, everyone who, who had a hand in this movie just, uh, just did an amazing job. Uh, that's uh, if you want to try that out, you can always YouTube Raiders of the Lost Ark, the movie on record. They took, they made a, an album, a record album of the film, just using um, uh, uh, sound and dialogue from the film. They spliced it together, kind of like um, an audio drama, but it doesn't, unless you've seen the movie a hundred times, you're not going to necessarily get what's going on, but still a great uh, uh, piece to have on in the background if you want to listen to it. John? Um, I once listened to all three of these movies driving from New York to Chicago by myself. Uh, there was like a, a moment in technology where you could plug your laptop into your car stereo. And I just, I brought the DVDs with me and I put each one in no picture. And I was able to follow the entire thing and, you know, and of course recite it. Um, this is also the first movie theater I went to after COVID. It's the first movie theater I saw with my girlfriend. We met during lockdown and we couldn't go anywhere. The first time uh, movie theaters reopened, they put classic films in the theaters just to try to get people in. And Raiders of the Lost Ark was one of the first ones they did. So I, um, I will watch this movie any way I can watch this movie. I'll watch it in pieces. I'll watch it with my eyes closed. I'll watch it in French. Uh, there's there's no way this movie doesn't work. And every time, it's my favorite movie because as much as I love new movies coming out and as much as I think there are more sophisticated films, um, you know, there's Casablanca, there's Citizen Kane, there's Pulp Fiction. Every time I pull this movie apart, it never gets lesser. And, and, and I enjoy it as much the 200th time as I've enjoyed it the first time. To that effect, between magic and dreams comments, Raiders of the Lost Ark introduced me to the magic that movies could present, to the magic that movies could present and spoiled me to the degree of constantly longing to discover that magic again in more modern films. Yes, many other films have tried to duplicate it they have been unable to. Um, and yeah, for me, um, Indiana Jones is, uh, to me, will be a seminal character of all the characters that I uh, adore, that I cherish. Um, I mean, I can look at the Star Wars films and Star Wars, Empire, Return of the Jedi, Force Awakens. There are parts of it that, I'll be honest, they just don't age as well. They, they makes me a little cringe, you know, when I look at some of the things that were done with the characters in the Star Wars films. Um, 
maybe it's because Indiana Jones and his world was a tad more mature and that his flaws were built in and were things that to be were to be ex, ex, accepted and expected. Um, that character has aged more, uh, aged be better for me. Um, there are a lot of things, as you guys have said before, there are little mistakes and things that come up in the films that just add to the charm overall of the Indiana Jones series. And um, it's just easier for me to accept. So, uh, and then we'll get into the whole thing about as the movies progress, uh, people saying that's ridiculous that this happens here and happens there. Folks, Raiders has as many ridiculous stunts and improbable things that happen as in any other film. So if you're going to get angry about the car jumping the track in Temple of Doom or Indiana Jones uh, in a boat uh, falling, you know, over a waterfall, yet you can't, you don't have an issue with him doing, making a swim out to a boat in the ocean that an Olympic swimmer wouldn't be able to make, uh, you know, getting to a Nazi boat. And then, oh, wait. Has anyone explained how he survived the the, the Nazi boat, uh, the U-boat going under the water? They didn't go under the water. The diesel engines uh, are operating on a submarine in the 1930s, and Germany wasn't technically at war. Uh, well, 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 I, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> if you say so. See? There we go. We can come up with that stuff. Yeah, we it's, can, higher, it's, it's, it's all solved if you take the tour of the U-505 submarine at the at the Museum of Science and Industry here I've, in Chicago. I've, I've actually done that one, yes. It is, yeah. it is pretty cool. All so right. There, there's whole cutscenes that we didn't even begin to get into that you know, would it have added to the movie, what it's going to distract from the movie. There, you, you could go on for hours about this one movie. True. And I will say before we go, Tom, I do have several storybooks that I'm willing to trade um, if you're looking to, you know uh, – <laughs> Uh, trade some indie indie wear indie gear indie stuff also if you are watching the show for the very first time and would like to qualify to get a free copy of raiders of the lost ark on blu-ray this is the 40th anniversary edition of raiders of the lost ark all you have to do is uh follow the top men a indiana jones podcast Facebook page, as well as the Top Men Indie Podcast Instagram. And you will be entered into a drawing for a copy of Raiders of the Lost Ark on Blu-ray. And I'm telling you, I know you might have it on your cloud or something. I am a fan of physical media. Disney Plus Paramount cannot take this off my account because I've got it here. I can always play it whenever I want. And if my Wi-Fi goes down, I can still watch it. So trust me, we're going back to physical media. Damn it. <laughs> John's giving me that look. <laughs> I'm giving you that look like wrap it up. <laughs> I am. We should. All right. Before we go, uh, let's uh, real quick. I want to, First, I want to thank everyone for being with us tonight. Thank you, everyone, for watching. Susan Lehman, um, Between Magic and Dreams. Um, Don, thank you everyone for tuning in live. If you're watching this as part of a, of the, uh, video archives on our Facebook or YouTube page, or if you're listening to us on the radio mistress podcast network, thanks. 
uh, please be sure to give us a like, subscribe, and share. Uh, as well as our socials, Tom Feaster, where can people find you on social media? Uh, I'm on Instagram as Tom Feaster, on Twitter, uh, Tom Feaster. And I also have a uh, Instagram just dedicated to my toy collection. That's uh, it's called Things I Haven't Outgrown, um, and it's just toys. That I, I do a lot of estate sales, and I'm always hunting for old toys. So, if, if you like old toys and you just want to geek out with me, check it out. Dave, I am on uh, Instagram at Pinto underscore Noir. Why do we want to follow you? You saw him earlier in the show. My little. Um, 11-year-old uh, four-legged goblin. I love that little guy. <laughs> Tom. Uh, you can follow the uh, good dates and all of the cocktails for this show and for the MCU review on uh, REVU Cocktails on the Instagram app. And John. Uh, I'm at not on my book on Twitter. Uh, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Instagram has a lot of pictures of new toys because I don't have as many vintage toys. But every now and then I get a Marvel Legend that I'm obsessed with for a week and I throw it up there. It's mostly toys and some guitars. Uh, but you can also follow the Caffeinated Comics audio podcast. If, that, if this is not the way you're getting this episode, there will be an audio version of this through the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. And you can get that anywhere you get your podcasts. In between these shows, we cover all the news that's fit to geek, uh, usually with Elliot and with a lot of other special guests. We had a great show with the um, creators of Dark Horse's White Savior the other week. Eric, uh, Eric Wen and, and uh, Rob Burnham. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that is not part of this show. So uh, you can check us out anywhere you get your podcasts. And we do have an MCU review coming up, which we'll be talking about Ant-Man and the Wasp. Is that correct? Yes, that's the next one. That'll be the next one. And I'm Elliot Serrano. You can follow me on all socials at Elliot Serrano, two L's, two T's, and two R's. Thank you, Tom Feaster, for joining us this evening. Thank you, all of you, for tuning in and watching. Thank you if you are listening, whether you are watching live or you are listening to the audio version or watching this video on the archive this has been Top Men in Indiana Jones Podcast. We'll see you next time. But remember, it belongs in a museum. Good night, everyone.